You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. Day three here at CNU 26 in Savannah. I have with me my favorite group of people in the entire CNU universe. In the entire universe, I think maybe you'd qualify. My good friends from Urban Three. To my left immediately is Joe. We got Josh and Kate. Hello. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. Here's the trick, though, Josh. You have to actually speak into a microphone. So you actually have to. I didn't know what gave me a microphone. No, that's <laughs> Let's see. Four people, three microphones. Who, who's the one we would exclude from the conversation? Taking yours away. <laughs> yeah. It's our show now, Chuck. Uh huh. That would work really well. I told you guys before we went on, like, you guys are the only ones where I have, like, no sense of what we're going to even talk about. So we can talk about robots. We can talk about mapping. We can talk about Asheville. We can talk about interesting things you've seen on the road. We can talk about fun times that Joe and I had in Massachusetts. We can talk about anything. Kate, you, you look like you uh, have something on the forefront of your brain. Well, no? I was just thinking about the story that Joe told me when he came back from his Massachusetts trip with you about yeah. your... Um, your kind of interaction with the, the folks in Cape Cod. <laughs> and I think it'd be really illuminating for your listeners. If we told that story? Uh, okay. I don't think we have. God, I, I was hoping we'd talk about autonomous vehicles. Um, <laughs> I, you, know, you know, this yeah, We did that for an hour yesterday. Yeah, but when, I'm, when I'm on the road and I look around at, at, at people driving, I'm pretty sure we already have driverless cars. Yeah. <laughs> Is everyone's texting? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, and... The Massachusetts trip was a blast. We started at Fenway Park. Um, we went to Fenway Park together. Yeah, we crashed. Which is really cool. Yeah. Then we crashed uh, the Harvard GSD and kind of walked around there and saw some great books from the 1900s, early 1900s, 1911, 1916, that were talking about walkability, cost of roads. So we're down in the basement of the library. And we're going through these old books and you'd pull these things off the shelf and open it up. And literally it would say, here's the different types of value per acre you get for different types of land use. And this is like 1905. And it's like, you want to build more of this so that you actually have the money to fix your city. And then, then lost wisdom. Yeah. Then capital plan. Who were the, what was the civilization that are doing capitalization plans of figuring out what the cost of the roads would be yeah. in the future and having a plan for their maintenance. Yeah. God forbid. But it, anyway, was, it was funny. Yeah. Then we went down to uh, Mashpee. So we, we just met Buff Chase, yeah. uh, the developer of, of Mashpee Commons. They're in this predicament where they've essentially built out the Cape with this development pattern. And now it's, they've realized it. And with it, they're essentially, it's the, the water system is, is leaching. The sewer poop, system. Sewer system. Yeah. Because all these. Uh, uh, they've got individual. Here, the engineer got, will explain the. Yeah. Uh, the mechanism there's, there's, there's whereby there's fecal poop matter in the water. enters the water. <laughs> basically. <laughs> they have, uh, basically, they don't have a sewer system. Nothing's collected. Everything's treated on site in their own individual treatment systems. And they're, as they tend to do, not performing well. They're not being maintained. These homes don't change, you know, turnover very often. 
And a lot of times, the only times the sewer system is inspected is when it turns over. So the, the bottom line is the engineers have come in and said, I can't remember what the number is, like 50 million. 250. 250 million. Ah, what's a, what's a, what's a, a zero? <laughs> so it's this astronomical sum of money that they have to spend to fix this because it's screwing up the water. I mean, it's really wreaking havoc on the water. So go ahead. Yeah, and so we, we sit down with the town manager who lays out this picture for us and talks about how he's going to go to the state and the feds and get some money. And, and you were just like, well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Uh, yeah. This was in a in a public presentation. No, that, well, this was private first. Oh, the we, private one. Yeah, right. we, we kind of like talk with him about don't yeah, that's please true. don't say this publicly because <laughs> because that's like setting off a like, yeah like a ripcord for you to like talk about how that's wrong. But it, but it's um and sure enough, at the public meeting, he couldn't control himself and he says it because there's a community there, and the communities there are like, well, we still want our candy. We want somebody else to pay for our candy, and and he had to be the adult in the room and say, I'll help you. I'll find the money somewhere. And, and you stepped up and said, well, hold on a minute. Uh, let, me, let me talk about how I hear this. What you want to do, one of the most wealthy parts of the East Coast, you want to go to the state that's dealing with, oh, I don't know, an opioid epidemic in Springfield. And you want to go to the feds that have, oh, Alabama, Mississippi. And you're going to make your case that how rich people who have essentially created a system or wealthy people who have created a system that, that you broke, you want somebody else to bail you out. Oh, yeah, that's going to go over really well. And and then this guy gets up. There's silence in the room. Silence in the room. And then <laughs> and then they just went right back at it. And this one guy, I, I, I'll never forget it. He's he's complaining about how he he can't go clamming in the bay anymore. And I make eye contact with the Wampanoag elder that's yeah. in the back of the room who has this look on his face like, what the? F- <laughs> what, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Right. Those, your clams? Those are your clams? Right. Okay. Anyway, but that was a uh, that was kind of a, a priceless moment of delusion. But I'll tell you when I. When I work with you in those environments, yeah, I can sense a different chuck <laughs> in in places <laughs> where you 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 have this kind of way left leaning. Somebody else will take care of you know where's where's yeah. government mama and y- y- like your veneer. The primal me comes out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's just like you know, like what happened in Lafayette with the MPO where where Josh was like yeah. You know, yeah, throw some water on Chuck. He's getting a little hot. <laughs> I did kind of <laughs> chew that guy out. So it, the funny thing about the epilogue to the, uh, the mash pee, the, that whole conversation where we basically said, like, you're delusional if you think that in the state capitol they're going to pay for your sewer system. You're delusional if you think you're going to go to Washington and get this. And, of course, they want to remain delusional. So the next day we were presenting at the state capitol and we're in front of all these legislators and staff and stuff. And they're asking, like, hard questions. And I said, well, you know, we were down, we, we were on the Cape Cod uh, yesterday and here's what they told us that, you know, they're going to come to you and have you pay for their sewer system. And around the table, they're just like, oh, they said that. <laughs> it was like a big yuck, yuck kind of thing. Let's talk about the, the Lafayette one. Cause that one was, so we do this huge study in Lafayette. These guys are laying out like the technical, like here's the map of your cost for your water system. And here's the cost for your sewer system. And here's, here's your road usage map. And then they overlay on top of that. Here's where your MPO is, is projecting growth and projecting to spend their money. And of course the parts of the city where the city is actually solvent gets no investment because these are the rundown neighborhoods, the poor neighborhoods, the downtown. And then the parts out on this, on this edge that are bleeding them dry, 
or just like the blood red part of the map where it's just bleeding money. That's where the MPO is projecting all the growth and projecting to spend all their money. And so this schmo gets up and starts to defend this, right? And I can't even remember kind of what he said. Yeah, I just remember I, I was getting angrier every moment. Yeah, I think the I think the, the tipping point was uh, when he told you that um, they have models to do all of this already. <laughs> he did yeah. say that. I remember. Yeah, he's like, we have we have models that project all this, and yeah. I I said you, something about him being precisely wrong. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, you just about did a spit take. You know, you were drinking some water and, and you know just kind of. Uh, to the side and, and you know sprayed sprayed the water out like, right what did you just say <laughs> yeah it, it didn't help that you started the meeting at the mpo by talking about how all mpos around the country have served their time and they needed to be dissolved and you're you're telling these people that they need to be out of a job that's how you started the meeting and i'm like sitting there with josh i'm like this is not going to be good because we had to follow that. It's like uh -huh. you're just like walking in the room and knocking everybody's chairs down and poking them in the eye. So Joe's writing note, note to Kate. Chuck is no longer welcome on our teams. Oh, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's necessary. You know, we, well, we talk we talk about this. Is that we see in the models that you know time and time again is that 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 urbanism that downtown stuff is paying the freight. And what we've gotten into is is it's probably been true for the history of of cities. That when the taxation started, we always took our taxes out of the downtowns. It's just that we've added way too much inefficient stuff around it. And, and we even see this in, in Asheville, that, that it's like, all right, job's done here. Let's just go ahead and draw more money out of the downtown. It's like, no, you're, you're killing the golden goose. The one saving grace that we have is, is uh, residents is, you know, we have this like lure of a first hour free of parking. Well, that's for all the people that, and we've got Will in the back who, who has to depend on this. He lives downtown, and so he, he has to move his car, but that first hour free allows him to get his groceries to his apartment. And so now the city is going to take that away because they need more money because we're broke, even though our city is, by all measures, I mean, Asheville's killing it. Yet how could we be broke? How could we have to go out and get bonds to do sidewalks? How can we have to, we, we just, we had a $7 million shortfall this year? Mm -hmm. Yep, which they're hoping will be made up when the hospital goes from nonprofit to private. But they're banking on something like that to try to deal with their budget shortfall. Yeah, like how silly is that? And, and, and somehow that that's not seen as crazy. What if, if only Asheville were sitting on some sort of valuable real estate that could sell in a crisis? <laughs> Say more about that, Joe. Uh, which uh, which one? <laughs> I twenty six, or you want to talk about downtown? Oh, I was thinking. The oh, the pit of despair. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's even better. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we name our sins. <laughs> um, so the city has four acres of land across the street from the Civic Center that it bought to do a joint venture project uh, 15, 15 years, years ago. ago. Mm -hmm. And we've been having an ongoing conversation. And because no one can make a fucking decision. Excuse me. Sorry, podcast world. Um, <laughs> You're just streaming out to millions yeah. of people live. Well, Beep. Hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> sorry. Nice uh, cast now. Yeah. Uh, Strong Towns just lost our G rating. Yeah. <laughs> so, no um, more Minnesota nice on yeah, this show. <laughs> sorry. I've, I just, I've got a problem. Um, I'm having him work on it. He's working yeah. on it. Uh, Kate's got me in a program. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's a, you've got him in a 12-step program. Yeah, for I still haven't identified the problem. But uh, so anyway, uh, they, they keep on doing these RFPs, but they don't put any stipulations on what they want. So the poor sucker that walks in the door and puts a proposal 
gets dragged in front of the community and then systematically pushed back out where we don't want your solution yet we won't ask for what do we want we won't use that land for something so now it's we realize we got to do something with it so the city came up with this brilliant scheme of fencing the whole thing with chain link putting in gravel and then this kind of really bad retaining wall and we were out there the just pit, a couple the weeks pit ago. Of despair. It's it's just depressing. It feels like some sort of internment camp. And they're like, "Oh yeah, people are going to go in there." It, it, yeah, it's it's basically like um, yeah, the yard where they walk prisoners around. Yeah, Ex- except a little worse than that. Okay, you yeah. need some rodents of well, unusual. At size least at there. least the yard for prisoners has some sort of like shade and grass. You know, this has nothing. It's just gravel. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, it's it, one of the most valuable pieces of property in our downtown. And it's been sitting there. The city paid $6 million for it, I think, and demolished buildings. And it's been sitting there for 15 years. So imagine what it could have been doing. I think one of the things that your work has given me in terms of confidence, I look at like the cities that I know intimately and I'm like, these places are broke. But is this just an anomaly? And, and as you guys go around and you look at like Asheville, which by all metrics should be this really successful city. And you go there and you're like, this is a fantastic place. And of course, these people must have it all figured out. And then, and then I get like story after story after story of these places that we look at and like, they've got it. And no, it, you have the pit of despair. You're going broke. Like, how is this possible? Well, Josh needs to explain because I, I, I carry Josh's story about cargo cult. Mentality, and I think the I think the audience, the viewer out there, needs I've, to. I've started to use the yeah, cargo so cult. Josh, go ahead and explain cargo cult. The cargo cult thing is is what is it? World War Two when it, they yeah the, the, doing the island hopping in right, the Pacific. Right, the ships were crossing the Pacific, and um, you know these these folks lived on these islands who'd never seen the industrial world. They, their little island was the universe, just like our planet is our universe. Right, and he's, he's you know for what they would observe to be something from another planet landed. Gave them a bunch of cool stuff and left. And responding to you know what they observed, they're like, let's just do whatever we were doing when the, the spaceship landed and gave us a bunch of cool stuff. Let's just do that like right. way more. Right. And so we've gotten to the point where we have no idea why building concrete stuff made us lots of money, but we better do more of it. We better right. double down. So basically, to, to me, you know, our highways, our infrastructure, basically our Moai, Moai heads that we're yep. building on Easter Island while, yep. while everything's falling apart. I, I see this with the like, complete streets, like the streetscape. I go to the city. It looked awesome. Boy, everything about it is great. What I know professionally are streetscapes. And like, boy, isn't this a great streetscape? Ergo, streetscape must have created wonderful outcome. I go back to my city. I'm like, what we need is an $8 million streetscape. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and like, you do it and nothing happens. Yeah, Na- yeah. Niagara Falls has a really good streetscape. It, yes. Um, yeah, and in uh, some of the, t- the cities we went to in Gwinnett County, it was amphitheaters. You know, one, this one town built an amphitheater that was part of their really good you know, urban plan to build a downtown from scratch. So the right. other cities were like, oh, amphitheaters, that's how you do it. Right. So the next right. thing you know, there's amphitheaters everywhere. Okay. But, Not just amphitheaters, city halls. And and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The but, whole. Uh, so the, the thing with the diamond mine is, is similar idea is, is we see a lot of cities that Asheville is a great example where they're like a resource-rich country that, that they have – this downtown that was built by their ancestors and they didn't really do anything to capitalize on it except not tear it down and allow it to be redone. But at this point it's growing on its own steam and they're not taking the proceeds of the diamond mine and in, in investing them. They're not, they're not seeing that eventually the diamonds will run out and you need to have something else to rely on. Right. Go ahead, Kate. I'm 
No, I was just going to, I was thinking about how everything we're saying is very doom and gloom, but it's also, you know, a reality. But one of the things that we get to do with our work is, um, is work with cities that are on the opposite end of things. I mean, maybe they've made some really bad choices in the past, but they have people in leadership roles that are uh, willing to be innovative and make tough choices. And for example, I'm thinking of Gainesville, the city of Gainesville. We right. recently did a project with them. They have an, a city manager that came in a couple of years ago, and he's very very oriented towards getting things done. And he actually changed the Department of Planning to the Department of Doing um, <laughs> as like a philosophy, <laughs> that's their, that's their right? Title, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like um, and so and we, we worked with the city of Lancaster, California. They have a very similar mentality. So they understand I've that they're, there. That they're yeah. in trouble um, yeah. and they're, you know, really willing to stick their necks out to make tough choices and, um, and not just put their heads in the sand. So. This is why I like Kate. She's, I feel like I'm a bad influence on these two because they get around me and like the doom and gloom starts to flow, but then they get with you and like it's everything's sunny and nice again. Well, and, not, and not everything, but I mean, it's, it's very heartening as, you know, we live in Asheville and we see kind of the intractability of some of our problems there and the, the lack of uh, people being willing to stand up and just make tough choices. But it's, it's heartening for us to see these other places that aren't, you know, Boston's or Chicago. I mean, they're yep. small places making big differences. Well, and right. Asheville gives us the lesson. I mean, yes, we are, we sound doom and gloomy, but we're, you know, we, we still live there. It's, it's, it's our community. So we just have higher expectations. But, you know, this Congress is all about the, the change agents, the doers, the people that help the, these communities figure out that they can make more diamonds, right? right. So, right. so we, we know, we all know what the diamonds look like. We all know how to make more, but it's really kind of amazing that a lot of communities don't realize that power is within themselves to do it within their community and actually fashion a new diamond. We can, it's not like it's, it's some ore that's in the ground. We can actually produce it. And this is all, it's all human-made environments for making place. And so this who, who is... Who is the guy making straw into gold? I can't remember who the... Rumpelstiltskin? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we can actually do this here. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's the incredible thing about Savannah that, you know, I had Kevin Klinkenberg on two days ago. You kind of like get outside of this amazing stuff here. We had the same experience when we were in Charleston with, with Vince. You know, you get outside of the amazing stuff and you're like, why so bad? Like, what did you just forget how to do it? Like, look, there's a really great model just right there. Just build more of that. It's amazing because when we look at it on a map, it's as stark as it is in, on the street. It's like, here's the value. Go two blocks this way. It all just craters to nothing. I think the sociological part of this astounds me on how as a society, we collectively agree that like this is awesome. And we collectively agree that this is like despotic and horrible. When we overlay your work and like this actually is like paying the bills, this is draining us dry and then we go to the budget meeting and we're like, why are we broke? Oh, I can't figure it out. Let's build more of this crap. Like, what? what's going on? Like, are we just nuts? Are we crazy people? You know? Okay, so you've evenly divided the mics between you. And no we're one's... We're waiting for Josh to jump in. <laughs> Josh is no, like No, my we're the same salon. ones. Everyone else is crazy. That's, we are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Josh and I are the, the, the guys who hang out and at two in the morning decide to start a movie. Even though we both have to get up at like 5 a.m. Because we just yeah. got to watch this show together. <laughs> yeah, that's where the, it's when the important stuff happens. Uh, it feels like to me, like a lot of the answers to the questions that we have. There's a lot of stuff here at CNU, but it almost feels like when you went to the brain conference, the neuro uh, 
people. The behaviorists. The behaviorists. Applied, applied behavior yeah, like, analysis international, yeah. Like the, the issues we're actually dealing with are now getting into human cognition and all of these like cognitive fallacies we have in our brains where just like humans are weird animals. And it's almost like we've been given, it's almost like we're rats that have been given like way too much sugar and way too much like stuff. And we just went crazy, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's not, it's not crazy. It's science. It's we as animals, we want to do as little work for something and gain uh, from it. So, I mean, it's just patterns of, I mean, Josh can go on about this as well. There's patterns of behavior that, that are the science has proven and not just for anybody on, on podcast or listening to this, you know, if you can not fall into that trap yourself. And one of the things that I think was a lesson from the behaviorist perspective is they know what the problems are. They just don't know that there's groups like this that actually can actually change things. That's true. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I see, I see this and we do this a lot. We all, we all talk about it in the, in the office. We don't just go to planner conferences. You know, we, we go to other conferences and see how those other silos operate because that's what's happened is part of the act of city making. And you saw this when we talked and looked in those books in the 1900s, the, the books on city city design covered everything from from how to build a curb to how to hold a community meeting. It was all soup to nuts through the whole thing and the budget and sewer systems and all of that stuff. Why you need trees? You were like it, it made it made the town planners look like Renaissance yeah. people. You know, like and, very uh, well rounded. And I think that's been the beauty of the CNU is that you know twenty six years ago. It wasn't just architects. It wasn't just landscape architects. It was like, it was everybody. There's politicians out there in the room. There's developers. There's, it, it, it is, it's engineers. I don't know what the hell we are, economics yeah. people. You know, it's just, <laughs> there's, there's computer visualization people. There's all this stuff that coalesces together. And that's what makes a city. It's not just individual silos of modern thinking of, I just do this thing. Right. Josh, you wanted to say something on the cognition thing. Go for it. Uh, no, no, it's, it's, Joe just said it. So. Okay. So that's yeah. it. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> well, one analogy that you didn't give, Joe, was the, which I love, is the delayed discounting and kind of explaining that. So yeah. Yeah, can so, you do that? Yes. And, it, and you call it temporal discounting. I yeah. call it delayed discounting. So yeah. um, in talking to the behaviorists, they're trying to affect climate change. So they're like, we have to help people not make the wrong choice because we need to save the planet. It is that critical. And these are the people that got us all to stop smoking. I showed data on fixing Greensboro. They had like trying to get us all to use CFL light bulbs to reduce our carbon effect. And I'm like, look, if you just fix Greensboro, North Carolina, that will save the carbon footprint of the entire country of CFL light bulbs. And I was showing pictures of pigeons pecking buttons, some BF Skinner and all that stuff. And they thought it was hilarious. And they're like, oh my God, you're onto it. And I was showing our tax system rewards the wrong thing. It's real simple. You build a piece of junk, you're taxed less for it. Why do we reward that? So the developer makes more money and the community has more cost and we reward that. So um, they're like, oh my God, you're onto it. And I'm like, what am I onto? They're like, it's delayed discounting, Joe. Go out and find a 20-year-old out there smoking cigarettes and ask them if they're going to get cancer. What are they going to say? I'm not addicted. I'm going to quit when I'm 40. You know, all that stuff. We, we mentally mask all of that stuff. Right. Because we can, Tomorrow, I'll start exercising. Yeah. This is why, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the viewing audience, how deep is your savings account? You know, right. it's like we we're, we're all have that habit. Yeah. You know, I'll exercise tomorrow. And that was like a real epiphany. And I, I was like, all right, well, so how do you solve this? They're like, oh, yeah, you need a macro contingency schedule. I'm like, wait. 
you guys do this? So like, yeah, we do this for a living. So they essentially, the way that we have comp plans and zoning codes, they have these things called macro contingency schedules that they wire into the system. So I, I think that's the next group that needs to be invited to this to this conference is let's go ahead and bring some behaviorists in here. They'll have a blast with this. Um, but anyway, and, and Josh's, uh, Josh's wife also practices this stuff. We talk about this a lot in the office, but with the, you know, smoking and, and not feeling the effects until later on, you see the exact same thing when you look at the road costs. So when you look at when the roads are built, what you should be doing is setting aside money to pay for them in 30 years. Then you would know, the truth about uh, whether, whether you can afford the road you're building, whether the development that, that's facilitated by that road is going to make sense. But we don't. You don't have to do anything necessarily for decades. And so then it compiles. And by the time you get to that point, you've already built too much. You've already got cancer, basically. And so after three generations of this, what we saw in, in Lancaster when we dated the roads, is it just compounds. Now we're at the point where it's not possible to build more or fix what's what's there. I think what was fascinating to me about that chart you put together for for Lancaster was that it, it had this like surging effect. I've always called it an echo, but after seeing the graph you guys put together, I, I started to call it a surge because you get this basically like we built the roads, then a generation later, there's an echo of that that we got to maintain. And when we get into that, what winds up happening is that we build more because building more is actually the mechanism whereby we can get money to fix what we have. That's the Ponzi scheme part that we've right, kind of brought to the right. table. So then you go out another generation and you get this even bigger echo. It's like a step up every single time. And, well, and I, I feel like part of the reason why, like Lafayette comes to us and we're like, we got a $50 million road backlog. And it just appeared like overnight out of the mist. Like, no, it really didn't, you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, no. It's um, it, and the other thing that's troubling is is that the you know the footnote that may have sunk our civilization is that roads are assets in in the municipal ledger, which is really important because the closest thing I can think of that that is an asset sort of is your driveway, because it is it's the same thing, right? It's just pavement. Right. right. The difference being you can sell your house, and when you do, you sell that driveway, the right. land under it can be whatever you can dig up a driveway build a house right none of that's true for a road roads do one thing which is depreciate right so one of the reasons that's really important is because that builds up the uh the assets on the books for a city that's what they can use to borrow against they get get a loan because we have a billion dollars in assets and what are they going to do with that that loan a lot of cases build more asset which they can borrow against right it has this weird financial effect I think working in small, small towns actually opened me up to some of the bizarre things about cities that you wouldn't get if you just worked in a big city because in a small town, it's more exposed. Like you can see it. And the idea that they would go out and build these massive infrastructure projects and then put millions of dollars on their balance sheet as assets and have like nothing out there, like no tax base, no taxpayer. The city owns all the property. It's a, like a business park. And all of a sudden, on paper, like if you're a Wall Street analyst looking at the city, you're like, they're stinking rich. Like, look at all this wealth they have. And if you go out there, it's nothing. It's, it's the opposite of wealth. It's like, a, it's like a big like mill around their neck, right? I was going to say, this reminds me again of the story that you recently told on your trip to Florida about the intersection project that was being proposed. All right, which one is this? I don't know if I've heard this one. Uh, yeah, this is what uh, Collier County. Collier or was County it, was it Fort yeah. Myers? Um, it's Southwest Florida. 
they have this traffic problem and uh, they were proposing, was it a $12 million intersection fix? You know, I'm a visual person. You kind of have to see this. It's it like, it makes a diverging diamond look like a brilliant idea. It was like, <laughs> it was, it was unbelievably insane. Uh, and, and they're just like, some engineers like, I so want to build this. Oh my God. It was, I mean, this is like engineer porn. There was like, there was like loops and they, they somehow found, I just looked at it. I, I was doing a presentation and I couldn't help it. It was sitting there from the council meeting the night before. And I hold it up and I'm like, are you people high? Like, this yeah. is crazy. $12 million for this. And the, the thing that was funny is their computer system didn't work for me to do a PowerPoint. Like, I was having a hard time with that. And, right. and the poor city manager was trying to help me out. And I was like, dude, like, you're going to go waste all that money and you don't even have a good computer you get, system. You can't even get a $500 projector and, to work. And it was yeah. just insane. And then, then I, I, po- I pointed out on the map, I said, look, it's your aerial. Take a look at the buildings that are adjacent to this $12 million intersection fix. You've already blown like $7 million on this thing. And now you're going to put another 12 into a problem that you're not going to solve. And you have a strip mall on one corner, right. a, 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 an empty lot on another corner, a canal on the other corner, and then like some single family housing. I'm like none of this stuff will pay for this $12 million. And they just looked at me. It was like this emperor has no clothes moment. Yeah. And they're like, well, maybe that was, maybe this is stupid, you know? And <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's kind of insane. It's, it's the Moai statue. It it's, is. I was just going to say the thing that Joe does in his uh, kind of standard talk where you show the, uh, the picture and then you ask people to count how many shapes are in it. And then you flip and you're like, okay, well, what time was it? Well, you know, and, and the, the thing guess, that's, guess you can't do that. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Thanks, we just Chuck. really said, sorry. I just blew your line. <laughs> but I mean, the, the whole, the genius of that is that you're framing, you're, you're helping people see that what you are grasping is the question you ask. So if you look at that intersection as a traffic problem, and I think this is where our roads and streets conversations gotten screwed up. Cause when we look at it as a traffic issue, then a $12 million solution maybe makes like a lot of sense. But when we look at it as like, are you trying to create wealth? Or are you trying to move people? If you're trying to move people, then what are you doing with crappy strip malls there, like slowing everything down and creating congestion? If you're trying to build wealth, how does this $12 million actually result in anything you want? And it becomes like the dumbest project you could possibly do if you look at it through a different lens. Well, and the other thing is that we have to, and I think this is with your work, with our work that we realize is that you really can't vilify the politicians for making those choices when they're, right. when everything's framed for him that way. I would agree. And, and, you know, Kate was a city councilor. It's like she had a leg up on everybody because of her background, but from a counselor standpoint, they come in cold and they're just given all of these problems. And I think that we collective, we as professionals become the problem if we can't help them see the, the issues. So, so framing all of this in a way that they can better understand it and, and empathize with, with their plight and their situation. And, you know, John, John Zimmerman was sitting here. It's like, I need to lose weight. Like I am not going to go riding bicycles with John because he will kick my ass. Right, you know, right. it's like, but right. I, I will have to start doing this. So I'll take smaller rides and do stuff. I'm not going to go ride 40 miles with him. And this is the thing was we have to get people into that healthy habit of changing their, their behaviors. But if Kate, if you want to talk about from yeah, a I was going to ask you about, uh, cause I, I do think that you have a very unique and interesting perspective in our like conversations because you have that right. background where you, you actually had to make decisions and making decisions is a lot harder than, 
being on the other side of the table and making recommendations. True. I mean, you know, I have a master's of planning and urban design and, um, you know, I don't feel like I had the tools and the information that I needed to make good decisions. Like, for example, our city um, was looking at annexing um, a neighborhood right on the periphery, like a 1940s, 50s neighborhood um, several years ago. And, um, and they were like, this is a win for the city. We're going to increase our tax base. Um, you know, the trash service isn't that expensive. But one thing we weren't looking at was uh, when do the roads have to be replaced? When do the pipes have to be replaced? This, you know, which was probably sooner than later, given the age of the community. Um, And we did it. We annexed it. And looking back, if I had had the kind of information that, you know, that we provide for our clients, I think we wouldn't have made that decision. Right. Right. I see that over and over. What, what? Oh yeah. Yeah. I wish I should have brought my pipe with me. So, so I was working on uh, our second cost project in uh, Lancaster. I don't know why it is. It's, it's cities that start with L that we do these. And um, and it's literally on, next one's uh, Eugene, so it's not an L. Eugene, 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 Oregon. Um, I was literally working on um, you know aging infrastructure, and, and you know like in my dark room, just dissolving the pictures, in the uh, developing cave. the pictures. Yeah, yeah like uh-huh. seeing like my God, Lancaster is going to go broke, and then my my front yard filled with water. The plumber came out and figured out that the sixty year old galvanized steel pipe. It goes to my house. It finally given up the ghost. Really? Which okay. It, you know, I can't blame it too much. It did its it did its job as well as it could for sixty years. Right. But it it, it it just all made it real for me. It's also a little ironic that I was I'm like working on this. Like, man, all, our pipes are gonna go bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then my <laughs> and then pipes it went. Does. Yeah. And then my pipes went. It's it's like uh, universes. Well, and Josh called me up. He's like, uh, I've got a problem. <laughs> I've got like a five thousand dollar bill coming my way. Like immediately (laughs) (laughs) was the funny thing is from a city standpoint we can shut off your uh service pipe and stop that leak yeah um the interesting thing for cities is that i I know cities who have taken their entire like water improvement capital budget so the budget you would use to theoretically go out and like proactively fix and upgrade your pipes and they just use that to respond to breaks. Right. And the breaks just happen like all of a sudden water's coming up from the ground. Things are starting to fall apart. When you're in a swimming pool and like my kid can carry me because, you know, the water gives you buoyant. That's what happens when the ground fills with water from the pipe. So the roads start floating away yeah. and things start happening. Nothing good. No, nothing good happens. Yeah. Well, so you, cities are using their entire, basically like their seed corn to go out and... Uh, you know, patch these holes. But it's also because it's politically scary. Like when I was on council, we passed a stormwater fee. We hadn't been collecting a fee to actually, you know, take care of the backlog of maintenance. Um, And this was 2012. Um, And it was so scary for everyone to impose a fee in a Southern town you know, raising the fees to the place where they actually have to be to have that that pot to do the replacement is is very terrifying for right. a politician. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's especially true when like this is what we ran into in Lafayette. It's like here's your here's your backlog. If you raise taxes the most aggressively you could right. possibly imagine, it would take like that much out of right. your backlog. Yeah. Exactly. It's kinda like why do I wanna paralyze that sword yeah. for you know, it's also just not possible. I mean, we're, we're past the point. At the end of the day, however you get there, whether it's fees, taxes, uh, making people pay for things. At the end of the day, it's the number of people, the money they have, and the bill right. to replace infrastructure. And nowhere I've looked has a has a footprint that is the least bit affordable by the people who live right. there. We've built too much. Right. So, anybody who has a question who wants to come up and ask, just come and sit up here, 
And uh, when I get a chance, I will switch seats with you and you can uh, ask these brilliant people questions. I'm looking at you because you're the coherent one of, of the right, three yeah. in terms of... <laughs> What, Thank you so much, Chuck. What, what's coming up next? What are the what are the like the big things that you guys are working on? We're actually doing a really interesting new project. Um, Josh is working on, and we're working with Salt Lake County, and they are very interested because they have some of these budget shortfalls that we've been talking about, and understanding the value of the publicly owned real estate countywide, and they're a big county. Um, so Josh has been working with their staff to catalog and um, come up with metrics of for the value of all the publicly owned real estate with the intention of the county to start looking at it as a real estate portfolio so that they can leverage certain key sites to redevelop and then be able to harvest that wealth to replace the pipes, to replace the roads. So they're being really proactive and, and kind of running their city like a business. That's in Utah. In Utah. We've been mm-hmm. out uh, a couple of times out there and it, it is fascinating because you do have a, a culture that is very kind of, I think, open to, to this conversation. It's one where, you know, we want to be civically very responsible. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this math makes a lot of sense to us. Let's, uh, let's investigate this a little further. Well, it's a very fertile ground. And, and it's, not, it's not to just go off and sell every park and make it housing, but it's, it's, it's to what are community problems? What, what resources do we have to basically facilitate the solution there? And also, where are we wasting money? So... One of the areas of focus is they have a they have a mass transit system. They have all of that infrastructure in place. They have housing issues. So how do you solve that? Are there are there parcels of land adjacent to the to the train stops that are the low hanging fruit? But it's just taking that proactive mindset to realizing that it is a cooperative development corporation. The city or county municipality and the private sector have to come together because it is cooperative. Why don't you give your uh, your name and where you're from, and then go ahead and ask your question. Hi, I'm Tom Graham, and I'm from Atlanta and from Mount Pleasant right now. And the, uh, one of the main questions I have, I think there are a number, but the one that comes to mind is, is a situation where our, our municipality, our town council, has, uh, has, is really close to being brain dead in terms of recognizing the, uh, uh, the reality that's facing them. And they, are, they have come to the conclusion that they're going to stop building, stop apartment building in the, in the close-in neighborhoods and essentially push it out beyond their, their control. And it's just, uh, it just results in the roads are already clogged up completely with, with the prior actions of doing that, of, of, of low-density development and a very, very sparse network of streets. Uh, most of the street, big street improvements have been made by other people's money, which is really hard to argue against that if you're, uh, if you're, unless you really look, take a longer term view. But I'm really wondering how in the world that it would be, I would think that you could come in and use these, use these uh, valuation techniques and extrapolate it in the future in terms of alternative development uh, density and programs that would infill close in how that stacks up in terms of the economics of the tax base and and return to their current program well it seems obvious that that's the truth but that's the case but my real question is how on earth do you get through to these people because they're they're so they are so 
stuck with well, the confirmation asked, bias. You've asked exactly the right people to answer this question for Mount Pleasant because we have done a lot of looking in that area because of a project we did in Charleston. So, Joe, do you want to give the reporter's quote about West Ashley, which probably is in a similar situation? Yeah, so we, we did an analysis of a project on the other side of the bridge, and it was a landfill. It was in that, Charleston, South Carolina. In Charleston. Yeah. And it was a landfill that... The developer was going to take the landfill, do all of the flood mitigation on the edge, build a development, maximize its value. And what the, the developer was asking is they needed some assistance getting over a train track, which dealing with the train companies is next to near impossible if you're a developer. But if you can get this, the municipality to get them to the table, you have some leverage. And your community, uh, Mount Pleasant, uh, acted up and said, well, why are you doing stuff over there? with with that that damn city of charleston we're mount pleasant we're important and also west ashley did the same thing these are our tax dollars you're wasting on this stupid bridge so they asked us to run the numbers on what the future valuation would be josh uh, did, did that project with uh, the taxable value but also the, the retail taxes so mount pleasant produces is about thirty thousand acres produces 1.2 billion in retail taxes which is a tremendous sum but this 200-acre parcel of land was going to produce 13% of what you all produce. And it only is 200 acres. You're, you're 30,000 acres. And then he ran the numbers for uh, West Ashley. The entire community of West Ashley is 6,000 acres at $2.4 billion. And the 200 acres that was getting redeveloped was $2.2 billion on 200 acres. So 6,000 acres, $2.4 billion, 200 acres, $2.2 billion. And when the newspaper reporter saw it, his question to me was, he's like, wait a minute. So those places are acting up. They say they want their taxes back, yet this 200-acre piece of land is more productive and more contributing than both of those communities. It seems like we shouldn't be asking whether or not they're getting their fair share of taxes back. We should probably be asking whether or not they're carrying their fair share. And I said, you said it, not me. And that was his, what he wrote in that article. With Mount Pleasant, y'all are doing great from a right now standpoint financially because of the wind of all of the forces around you are lifting you up so you have beach communities you have charleston all this stuff is 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 killing it which is driving demand in your community and there's going to be a tipping point because you're not planning for it i think that's what i'm hearing in your question is you want to see why this is not happening and it's because really everybody can pick their legs up and just get carried by the current momentum and live in la la land we're experiencing this in Asheville right now um, we're they put their head in the sand rather than deal with the controversial or complex things because the community is at a level of education where it feels like it's doing all right. You know, it's like, yeah, we have a traffic problem, but I'm all right. You know, my house is rising in value. We saw this in Auckland where if you do nothing in Auckland, New Zealand, the value will keep on rising because it's it's Auckland. It's the prime city on the, on, on the country. But if you start to actually look at ways of harvesting your wealth, and you see this around, I can't remember the name of the street where that, uh, what's the name of the street, Josh, where that that uh, development happened that everybody freaked in out about? Dominion Road? Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about in Mount Pleasant. Oh, um, Coleman? No, I don't Coleman. Coleman? Yeah. yeah. So, so Coleman has to grow up in order to pay for Coleman. And, and this is where your community doesn't want that because a, a, a tall building, a, a whopping, what, five stories tall came in and, and the world's falling apart. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Architecturally, it could be better. 
you know, but, but from a standpoint of, of density, you need that kind of density at that location. So learn from it. How do you do better design? Design is the problem, not necessarily mass, but your community can, can actually react against that because you're not in a crisis mode. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's an answer. That's, for that's the, that's the diamond mind I was talking about when, when a place is winning by default. So whether they make good decisions or bad decisions or no decisions, like in Asheville's case, they still win. It's really hard to convince people to make good decisions instead of bad ones. But, you know, Mount Pleasant came up a lot, you know, both because of uh, what was going on Coleman Boulevard, but also because of ION. And when you look at the model that we made for Mount Pleasant and, it, you know, you look at where the value is, the, uh, the old town, old village, is that it's the, sort of the downtown for Mount Pleasant, right? The stuff that was built in the 20s, that does really well because of the way it was built in the 20s. And ION does really well because of the way it emulated that pattern from both Charleston. Yeah, it follows and, that and, pattern. Yeah. Right. I want to ask Kate, and I actually want Nate to come up and answer this too, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Kate to give you time to come up and switch places with me. As someone who's been on the public side, right. Tom says th- they're brain dead. And, and right. I, 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 I share his frustration. There's a lot of times we give numbers to people and we're like, isn't this obvious? And it's not for them, or it's a more complex question for them. Can you give us a little bit of insight as to maybe what life is like on that other side of the table? And, and then also like what things would smooth that glide path to make that decision easier? Right. Yeah. I think it's several things. Um, you know, every city and County has a different government structure. The council that I was on, we had a weak mayor, um, strong city manager. And so, you know, we each had one, one vote, the seven of us, and everybody had a different agenda. We were in districts rather than at large. And so getting everyone to coalesce the seven different perspectives, seven different districts around some of these issues was really challenging. Um, trying to build coalitions on council was really challenging. And then you also have to be able to bring along staff. You know, we had certain staff that had been there for 30 years or more, and they had a way of doing things. And it was kind of like, this is how this is how things are done. Um, so trying to go from the top down and work with staff, and you have to have a really strong city manager um, who's willing to listen to you and actually uh, make changes with staff. Because as a counselor, I wasn't allowed to go to the planning director and say, you know, why are you brain dead? Like that just like, actually, I wasn't allowed to do that. So, uh, so I think it's, you know, getting the right staff in place, and then really being able to understand how to build coalitions with your with your fellow counselors. And to be honest, there were several counselors that they never wanted to be a part of anything. They would literally vote against things that I proposed that I, I think that they might have supported if I wasn't championing the issue. I mean, it's like it's human nature, right? All right. Um, Nathan Norris with the City Building uh, Partnership, uh, and I'm from Lafayette, where we brought you all in to look at these issues. And uh, from my perspective, on a broader scale, not looking at Lafayette specifically about its political structure, which limits what can be done, um, I don't believe that any community, whether it's Mount Pleasant, Lafayette, or anywhere else, Asheville, uh, can get many good things done without a true crisis hitting unless there's extraordinary leadership. And that leadership is usually, from my perspective, falling from um, uh, most commonly the business community decides we, we have strong leadership, we need to do something. Um, sometimes you have government leadership, although that, I don't think that's the most common. And sometimes you have philanthropic leadership. And in Lafayette right now, 
Um, you don't have the strong business community. You don't have a strong philanthropic community. And the, uh, the political climate is, I don't want to get my, my head cut off by being out in front of the business community or the philanthropic community. And so that's what makes doing all this so hard. But I can say that because of the work that you've done, you know, we, we got a new, we have a, essentially a strong mayor form of government and we got a new mayor about three quarters of the way through their, their project, your project. And that new mayor was a CPA, which you think, well, that's perfect for what you guys are talking about. He understands the numbers, but he's also an incredibly astute politician who understood the implications. But the neat thing is that that sort of blew him away in the very beginning. And so he put everything essentially on ice because of the political ramifications. Then he, it's sort of processed enough for him to realize that if I'm going to help my suburban voters that dominate our political structure where we are, I need to tell them, hey, we need to invest in the stuff that makes us money. And he's out there making your pitch without you guys being there. And that's sort of a start, which, which suggests that our expectation that things are going to change overnight is really unreasonable when we look at all the success stories. Yesterday, I was listening to the folks from Decatur, Georgia, outside Atlanta, talk about their 35-year story, which people think, oh my gosh, Decatur's just blowing the doors off of everything the last three years. Well, it started at a crisis in 1979, and it's taken this long for them to do it. So, you know, things that you, you've planted the seeds in places like Lafayette. You've probably planted the seeds in Mount Pleasant and Charleston. And it's going to take a little time for it to happen. But I, I do think it's uh, uh, incredibly difficult to make it happen overnight. And, and that's why I applaud what you're doing at Strong Towns, because you, you you're like the national philanthropic that's keeping it on people's radar screens. And if you're not doing it, it's not going to happen. So go talk to all those uh, chief financial officers of all the, the cities again. Just every year you should be at their conference. Well, and there's also the work that Nathan's doing with the city building exchange to their, that educational component. The people that come for the basically the, the reduction sauce treatment of what's going on at this, this conference and, and, and getting that information and, and the injected, the, the party of the willing, those that want to step into that environment and take that ed- education on. And, and I think that the groups that you have there, the politicians, the city managers, the senior staff, that's having change. And, and effectively, you did that in Lafayette with us, is that we were essentially, you brought the conference to town, the circus to town, and, uh, and they saw the monkeys and the, the elephants and everything else. And, and so you can't not see that once it's done. And so I, I think that we, have to, we all do have to be patient, as hard as that is, to see that, that effect happen. A culture shift, basically. And this really is a culture shift. We're watching the, the shift from the modern American post-war culture. We've been going through, a, a, at this point, a 30-year culture shift with the CNU and all of this activity. Um, but we're all doing this in our own special way with consultants, um, as, as nonprofits, as, as well, both of you as, as, uh, as, as communicators and educators. Well, I would agree with Nathan that until it comes to your front door, um, you know, like I read an article about Omaha, Nebraska, I think it was year before last, and they have several roads that have gone to dirt with $400,000 houses on them because they can't afford to pave them. And I think until that kind of pain happens to you as a citizen, I mean, you're just taking your kids to soccer practice and, you know, going about your life. And I think until the crisis hits, that's it, like that the culture change won't come. 
that's that's what that's been my experience too. That, that rock bottom is a college education for cities. But what really helps is you when you also get to be the one who everyone remembers. Like, hey, that guy said this was going to happen, yeah. and and then it happens, and maybe we should ask him what to do now. Right. Maybe maybe what? you just you're, you're the one who said you're gonna the Titanic's gonna hit the iceberg. Why? Well, yeah. Just get to go down with the. Well, I think, I think along with everyone there, else. There's a lesson Lewis Mumford said: um, <laughs> never never let it be written on my tombstone that I was right. You know that he. I mean, he had been frustrated with please don't put a highway through the middle of your city, and he was the one that was the canary in the coal mine in 1950 basically saying all of this stuff and there's a lesson in that that i think none of us take a badge of honor of being right when we tell people things aren't going to work out for them it's not something that i'm going to live happily with you know yeah i was right right that you got screwed up and that's not that's not what we're in this for yeah we're at the end of our time i want to ask each of you but i'm going to start with josh just because i want his instantaneous answer what uh what's the deep question you're working on right now what's the thing that's keeping you up at night that uh, is plaguing you that you're wrestling with because you the, the thing I love about the three of you and your whole organization is that it really is like an intellectual pursuit. You're consultants, you do work, you deliver products, you deliver on time, you deliver on budget, all that stuff. But underneath the hood, there's this kind of weird, quirky intellectualism going on that's just infectious for me. So what's the what's the thing you're working on right now? This um, so this is this is the question. This is what I want to do now. Is we've seen a lot of um, bad examples, and we've seen a lot of a, a wide range of, of good and bad examples from the American or Commonwealth colonial post-industrial city that has cars, has parking lots, has all of those elements we know. What I want to do is I want to see if the the model that we're looking at, our hypothesis, that if you don't overbuild infrastructure and you have uh, development with lasting value, those places should be very, very stable and and durable. So I want to do what we do on some cities that didn't get the treatment. I want to, to complete the double-blind study and, and take maybe some, some European cities or Caribbean cities and, uh, and see how they compare in, yeah. in a value per acre analysis. Kate? I'm just trying to get Joe to stop cursing during staff meetings. That's my big, that's my big, my big <laughs> that's goal. Your, that's your goal for the year? <laughs> yeah. I'm Kate's project. During staff meetings? He, I tell you what, I, I've been on the road with Joe enough. He's he, he doesn't he's he's pretty uh, presentable out on the road. I mean, he does a good job. That's good to hear. He irons his clothes. I know he looks yeah. good. He, he shows to up. He's, and irons his clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He may he may curse a little bit, but only in this you know private meetings and on right. the side. And he's a pretty upstanding guy. No, he's great. I, I, what I'm really actually super excited about is working with you all this summer. Um, on we're partnering uh, with an internship project, and we have a student from the Institute of Politics at the University of Chapel Hill joining us for the summer to work and write for you all every week um, about uh, things like what Josh just talked about. So taking some of our research projects and being able to put those out into the universe since we don't have time to to write about them as much as we'd like. Right. We're so excited to share those stories. It's going to be a summer of incredibleness. I really can't wait. What I see with the work that we do, the relationships that we have, the clients that we have, the friends that we have, and partners... Um, he looks at me when he says yeah, friend. friends and partners. <laughs> uh, we have a bromance going on. <laughs> we don't, do. don't let your he wife know. But, yeah, no, we um, do. It's so, good. yeah. But, but I, I think that from, from our firm's attitude, you know, there, there's Will's back there. Will's doing some 
crazy. Like we've got some virtual reality going on. There's like stuff that Will's brewing, uh, literally uh, back there, that's going on and, and applying in a team fashion. I mean, Kate's essentially Kate and Josh have restructured the way that we behave internally because we're moving out of that startup mode and into what is this thing? How Something more mature. That, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm excited about where, where we, the next level where we can go. I mean, people see our work and they're like, this is amazing. This is great. And we're like bored at this level right. with the stuff that people know about. There's the things that we're doing that are going to be coming out in this relationship with the, with the intern. I'll, the other, and we're going to have a pile of interns this summer doing crazy stuff. I have no idea what's happening in the next year, but it's exciting. Joe's uh, also writing a book. Oh, there's that I know. Too. I know. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm just thrilled about this. I will be really embarrassed if me, the writer, doesn't have my book done before Joe does. Joe, Joe, Joe will be awesome. I can't wait for the book tour. Hey, Urban 3. Thank you. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you yeah. so much. Love spending time with you guys. And we're getting ice cream tonight. All right. Good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.